Indeed, welcome home. And that lady who's cheering so that lady who's cheering so loud and is so excited to be here. This is her first time. What's wrong with the rest of you that actually this you have been here? She's been cheering us on uh, to love God well today. So thank you, sister, for the encouragement. Um, welcome home. If you've been away this summer, you live somewhere else, university students back, wherever you are from. If you're back here and you're married for the first time in the back row since you've been here last, welcome home. We'll, int we'll introduce you well some other time. But we, uh, There's a few weddings that took place that a lot of them, unless you knew, kind of got under the radar. So we have to do some kind of wedding announcement sometimes. So that's pretty fun to be a part of. Uh, good to have Tim and Abby back up there and Josh on the drums. That's his first Sunday in church on drums. So give him a round of applause. Today we are indeed starting a series called Welcome Home, and before we get into this message called Let's Begin, I want to just give you a little picture of what that is about from like a 10,000 foot view. And if you're online this morning, welcome and thanks for joining us whenever you're catching this, this service with us today. Welcome Home can sometimes be interpreted in different ways. It's like, welcome home, where you been? kind of idea. And that's not the tone that we're going for here at the Rock Church. That it's actually more about welcome home is the tone of what the body of Christ is supposed to have. And that home is God's heart. And it's the place that he's inviting us to. It's a place we find our value, our security, our hope, our forgiveness, our salvation, our provision, our purpose. And that coming into God's heart, bringing our heart to surrender to his heart is the place where we should be and feel most at home. And and so as we talk about welcome home throughout the fall, we're going to have all sorts of different themes and topics, and we want to even increase our heart's capacity to be able to have a sense of what God is offering to the world, that we want to be that kind of place. So the idea is not if somebody is finally back after COVID or they were away for a while, it's not the where you've been, it's like so glad you're back. And uh, it's not just a thing about the Rock Church in as the place people have to come to. We're just part of the bigger picture here in Saskatoon, and we want to be a part of that. We're happy to be a part of that, although I would not be upset if we were accused of being the most friendly, welcoming place in Saskatoon. That'd be okay with me, but that would be my desire for every church to be accused of that kind of stuff. This fall, we are doing something special as we celebrate our 25-year plus. There we go, 25, 25 plus. The Rock Church began with some small services in 94. It officially became a church in 96. That meant last year was officially our 25th. So this is our 26th year. And so this is our 25-year-plus anniversary celebration. And what I, uh, what I would want you to know, because most of the people around the Rock Church haven't been around that long. There's a couple great people that still are here from that time. And... Um, I would want you to know that it will not be a perpetual face recognition of people from 25 years ago. That uh, you, you've all been to that, no offense to the newlywed couple in the back, but you've all been to the, the wedding 
the wedding receptions where there's the family picture photo show and some people know all the faces but some people don't know any faces and so I want you to know that your church isn't going to put you through just a facial recognition anniversary process of for the, of the last 25 years but rather than just being about relational connections it's actually going to be a time of reminiscing about um, reminiscing about God's faithfulness over the last 25 years. Something that we can all celebrate, no matter if you're two weeks around this place or two decades around this place, that there's things to give thanks to God for. And so that's going to be our emphasis. And one of the special things that will happen this fall is on this Thanksgiving weekend. On that Sunday, there'll be a special anniversary type service with special special music and, and more testimonies and just some fun as we particularly look back on on the past 25 years today we're gonna look at a, at a a passage a couple passages from the old testament mostly from zechariah but i need to give some context of what is going on before we look at the scripture from from zechariah so we're talking about the nation of israel at one point the prophet jeremiah prophesied that the nation of israel was going to be kind of invaded, taken captive, and hauled off to the land of Babylon. And that that would be in response to their wicked ways, and it would be like discipline and correction. And they would be in exile for 70 years. And then they would be able to come back. And so that's, that's the context of this story. It actually happened that they were invaded, all the smart, wise People were taken away and then people like me were left to till the land and be slaves and just keep things in order for when they finally got back. You, you're allowed to laugh at that stuff. It's, it's okay. Um, and so after 70 years, um, a, a ruler, Cyrus, came into power and he allows the Israelites to return home. But he doesn't just allow and decree that they're allowed to return home. He says, and all those treasured valuables from the temple that we took for our own, we're going to give them back to you and you can put them in the temple. And then he says, not only that, you're going to have access to our royal treasury and we're going to help fund your rebuilding process and redevelopment. And then not only that, we're going to encourage all your neighbors and everything to give you stuff too so that you can go back from being blessed, basically, is what he's saying. And so if you, re if you read through the book of Ezra, you would catch a good glimpse of everything and I would like to say that as you maybe rebegin or refocus on your Bible reading this fall if you can take time of half an hour an hour and find books of the Bible that you can read from the first chapter to the last chapter of that book it's very interesting the context of what comes out and as you see it flow through the whole that whole particular book and Ezra is one of them as you see it unfold but just reading from Ezra chapter 1 verses 1 to 6 in the first year of king cyrus of persia the lord fulfilled the prophecy he had given through jeremiah he stirred the heart of cyrus to put this proclamation in writing and to send it throughout his kingdom so it's always tough for a preacher and for people to convey what is actually going on within the words of scripture so let me try to nail it home this isn't the king sitting down after some bad pizza contemplating what should i change in my kingdom maybe i should just let those guys go no god has actually stirred his heart he is making it known wide and far by putting it in proclamation and sending it out the israelites are going to be free 
It's like a second exodus almost, that they're going to get to leave their place of captivity and go rebuild. So this is what the king Cyrus of Persia says in verse 2. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. He has appointed me to build him a temple at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Any of you who are his people may go to Jerusalem in in Judah to rebuild this temple of the Lord. The God of Israel who lives in Jerusalem. And may your God be with you. Wherever this Jewish remnant is found, let the neighbors contribute toward their expenses by giving them silver and gold, supplies for the journey and livestock, as well as a voluntary offering for the temple of God in Jerusalem. Then God stirred the hearts of the priests and Levites and the leaders of the tribes of Judah and Benjamin to go to Jerusalem to build the temple of the Lord and all their neighbors assisted by giving them articles of silver and gold, supplies for the journey and livestock. They gave them many valuable gifts in addition to all the voluntary offerings. Who's looking for some good neighbors today? Hey, <laughs> Who wants to be a good neighbor? Yeah. Oh. I, I got to admit, I think I'm surprised that there was louder cheers of giving your money away than getting money. So well done. Well done. Talk about a welcome home moment. A homecoming. Exiled from your home for 70 years and then you're going back. And you get to go home. And you get to recognize, well some of those people rec- wouldn't recognize because they'd never been home. But they heard stories of home and they got to go back there they got to go back Zerubbabel was the one who was going to lead their time of reestablishing the temple and so what takes place is they go Zerubbabel leads the people to go and to reestablish the foundation of the temple and they get back there they reestablish the foundation and when that foundation is reestablished so the rest of the temple can be built on top of it there is weeping And there is cheering. And you might say, why are people weeping? Because there's actually people back on that return who had seen the original temple before it was destroyed. And they saw that this temple was going to be lesser than the one with the former glory. And those old timers, their heart was broken. They were looking for the old days, wanting the good times in the good temple. But there was cheering because there's other people that only knew that the temple had been destroyed and rebuilding it was bringing cheering. And the scripture says that there was such weeping and cheering that it made such a noise that it could be heard a long ways away and no one could tell whether it was cheering or weeping. That's how loud and chaotic it was going on when the foundation was finally set. And the book of Ezra describes it well. How many of you are people that everything you've ever planned has gone right in your life? Do we have any people online? Nobody's in the room. One person in the room. You can throw on the chat there to Pastor Brandon. If you're one of those blessed people that everything has gone according to plan. That's not quite what happened. They get the foundation established, but then they, they experience opposition from people who had been dwelling in the land. And word got back to the next king or ruler, and they said, these people, they're rebuilding this place. If you look back in the history books, you're going to find that they caused a lot of trouble. And so they look through the history books. Oh, yeah, this place did cause a lot of trouble. Shut it down. 
And so for 16 years, progress was shut down on the temple. And then God began to stir, and he stirred two prophets, and you can read their books in the, in the Old Testament, Haggai and Zechariah, and they basically operated at the same time. And their job, God stirred them up to motivate the people to get back to work. And so Haggai was, you rotten scoundrels living in your own well-made houses when the temple of God is sitting in a mess, get your butts to work. That's kind of the theme that Haggai had going on. And if you don't believe me, just read the scripture. Zechariah, on the other hand, was more reasonable, less harsh from the outside, more appealing to reason and their heart and following after God. So it was kind of an intrinsic source of motivation and an extrinsic. And the good news about the body of Christ is God uses everybody in some way, shape or form. And they were used at the same time to move the people forward to rebuild the temple. And so they actually did it. They got back to work. After 16 years, and they got back to work, and then the opposition comes up again, and they said, who said that you guys could rebuild this temple again that was already shut down? And they said, the Lord, our God, has issued the decree that we get at it. And so then, they sent the petition to the next ruler, who said, check out what, they said, check out what Cyrus said. He said we could do this. So Darius goes and looks through, gets people looking through the annals of history and looks through and finds that, oh yeah, indeed, Cyrus said that not only were, were they allowed to rebuild the temple, they were, we were supposed to fund it. We were supposed to give them lots of stuff. And so not only does he say, yes, you can carry on, he reinstitutes the funding and helps the temple to get finalized. And so the temple gets rebuilt. So Zechariah is speaking in this time. I give you that longer history lesson than normal to see God's faithfulness over the period of time in our lives, but also so that you see God is at work. And so in Zechariah, the first number of chapters, first six or eight chapters, are all kind of visions that Zechariah received. There's eight visions plus another one. Most of them, like they think it either came all in one night or over the course of eight nights, and he received these visions. And so we're going to jump to one of the visions and part of what is said in Zechariah 4, verse 6. Then he said to me, this is what the Lord says to Zerubbabel. It is not by force nor by strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Nothing, not even a mighty mountain will stand in Zerubbabel's way. It will become a level plain before him. And when Zerubbabel sets the final stone of the temple in place, the people who will shout out, may God bless it, may God bless it. Two things. You try saying Zerubbabel. It's just kind of fun, right? It's like a, a blowing a raspberry on purpose. And now you say, may God bless it. Just... The people will shout, may God bless it, may God bless it. Say it like you mean it. May God bless it, may God bless it. Then another message came to me from the Lord. Zerubbabel is the one who laid the foundation of this temple, and he will complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of heaven's armies has sent me. Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin, to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. The seven lamps represent the eyes of the Lord that search all around the world. Verse 10. Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Yes. How encouraging is that? 
They were kind of getting down when that foundation was being laid. There was opposition. What's this going to turn out to? And God is encouraging them. Do not despise small beginnings. The Lord did that work. He saw the temple get rebuilt. Covenants were reestablished. The walls were rebuilt. But unfortunately, just this physical manifestation of a temple didn't change their hearts. And they continued to go through the cycles of obedience and disobedience and learning how to follow after God. In the book of Zechariah, the Messiah is prophesied about. This is the book where it talks about you will find him coming lowly on a donkey. That, that verse, that prophecy is in Zechariah. And we also see in the prophets where it said... The current temple, this one being built, will have more glory than the former one. And how is that possible when the former temple was more glorious and more glitzy? Because in this current temple that was being rebuilt, the Messiah would dwell. The Spirit would come. And so no longer was it going to be just about physical manifestations and representations of who God is. It was going to be getting to experience the very power of Jesus in our own lives as the Messiah returned. But they had to begin... And the beginnings were hard. Some of us in this room were people who like beginnings. We like the challenges. And about halfway through or as it gets going, the enthusiasm kind of dies out and it's hard to finish well. Don't put up your hand unless you're tempted to. Anybody? (laughs) Some of you other people, man, I I would get started if I just thought taxes would be fun. If I knew the CRA would show up on my doorstep by April 30th, it might be a little bit more motivating. But once you get going, if you're anything like me, man, this isn't so bad once I get started. Gratefully, again, in the body of Christ, that God knits us all together. We need starters, and we need middlers, and we need finishers. And somehow we can all learn to work together. But we live in a society where beginnings are despised often because they're hard, there's not, they're not that glorious or glamorous. We all want this. We want our Amazon package the next day. We want our Google search to end in .003 seconds. I want good customer service. Who here looks for the business that says, we are training new employees today. Come check us out. Nobody, and lots of you have been new employees, but we aren't actually looking to be patient. We aren't actually looking for the beginning of the process. We are looking for the glorious ending where everything feels like Walt Disney World. We want it well. We don't want the hard start. But the Lord says he's all in the hard starts and the hard processes, and he wants to see things begin. You think about Jesus for a moment. He had small earthly beginnings. He's the Alpha and Omega. I'm not, I'm not speaking heresy, but in regards to his earthly body and earthly existence, he was born of a, a meager virgin. He was born in a manger, in a cattle feeding trough. He was the son of, the car, of a carpenter. His disciples did not go to Princeton, even though I hear you can go there for free now if you don't make a certain amount of money. Jesus himself to this bay, this band of ragamuffins, he said, how long must I suffer with you guys? I qualify. Jesus, is, Jesus would be feeling a little exasperated and a little troubled. 
You think about the small beginnings they had. Simon Peter getting called to be a disciple. He's been fishing all night, doing exactly what he knows to do, throwing over the net, throwing over the net, gets nothing. Jesus comes and says, try again. Okay, Lord, I've done this a thousand times before. Boom, net fills up, miracle happens. The servants had to go take the empty water jugs that people would use for washing their hands, go and refill them. Who, that's not joyous. That's like the rookie jobs. Go get water. Run and fetch water. Oh, look, they had running water in those days. Little, little quicker than this first service, but not much, actually. Not much. They saw the water turn to wine. The disciples had to organize messy people into crowds of 50 and 100s and go around and take a few fish and a few loaves and serve a bunch of people only to have 12 baskets left over. Small, humble beginnings to see amazing things happen. I think often we want to see the amazing thing happen without having the perseverance and the dedication for the hard, little, mediocre beginning in our lives, in the lives of each other. So many people want a miracle. And so few of us want a situation that a miracle is needed. Amen. We all love to hear the, the stories of miracle of food provision. Anybody here want to live with empty cupboards this week? To put it to practice? We all love to hear of God's mighty Financial miracles. Anybody here want to be with a, a totally vacated bank account this week to see how he provides? Some of you are living that. Humble beginnings are the places where God can do some of his mightiest works. Because there's not enough resources. There's not enough wisdom. There's not enough experience. There's not enough people. You want to see God show up? Get a part of being the beginning. But the scripture said in Zechariah, do not despise small beginnings. And I'm a horrible despiser. I talk a good game right now, but I helped be a part of the plant team of this church in the early and mid-90s. And there was times I despised being a part of this place, as all of us would have at some point in time. See, I grew up in small town Saskatchewan. I love my family. I love my extended family. I love my community. I love my school. They invested so much in me, and I love my church. I was thinking of them the other day. I dragged on a Sunday night. My parents let me drag an old drum set to church. Like when I say old for you musicians, it didn't have tuning keys. It had clips that you clipped the skin on. You know what I'm talking about in regards to it's not a great drum set. And they just let me start playing. And they loved me well. But when I left Whitewood, I was ready for the big city and big churches. I went to Elam immediately, found a seat, a spot, and called it home. Get me into a big church with big music, good stuff. And I love Elam, and they're friends of us, and that's why I can talk like this. They gave me that home and that experience for that first part of my life. But then God called me and then called Leah to be a part of this church plant. And we went, I went from growing up in small town Saskatchewan with the rural church experience, God bless it for all it is, to somehow finding a city church that was more rural than what I grew up going to my whole life. It was smaller, there was more red and white polka dotted 
tablecloths over every table at every potluck and every meal than I would want to shake a stick at. I got so sick of this color. I don't know why everybody in that church at that time wanted this red and white uh, cloth over every table. I'm going, man, get me some solid black. I'm in the city now. And you all see the platform walls and wonder if I have issues. The Lawrence Trafford Evangelistic Association planted this church with the desire of seeing kids come to know Jesus as one part of it before they ever got in trouble and that people that were on the margins of society or people coming out of correctional institutions would have a place that they could be welcomed home to. And it's out of that kind of heart that it's growing to be what it is today and we want to keep that, that going. But I have despised things at times. I've told the story before on a Saturday night, I'm cutting the grass around the building and I'm complaining to God, how come somebody else didn't volunteer? How come I have to do this? No one's even going to notice. And I'm despising the lovely people of the Rock Church because I have to cut grass on a Saturday night. And I feel like the Holy Spirit walks up and to beside me and says, who are you doing this for anyways? And he gently corrected me, as he always did and always does when I am off. Jesus has been faithful. We haven't changed the world as the Rock Church, but he has changed our world. And he has changed us. And I'm going to invite Leah to come up, and we're going to do a little mini-interview. Over the course of this fall series in particular, we're going to do some, some interviews like this. Some people will just tell stories. Some will be by video. But we want to give God the praise and the glory for his faithfulness. As you know, some of you know, her story is coming to an end. Some of you don't even know what her story is, but it's a, it's a ministry that went on for 19 years. It started with 13 or 15 ladies on, at one banquet, and over the course of 19 years, it grew to its largest night of being over 300 people. We have a picture of that night where there are people eating a banquet upstairs and then downstairs. Those 300 and some people were all fed within 15 minutes. Plate service. We had an amazing team doing that. And it went for 19 years and grew. It, it, it uh, stirred up people to pray for the children's and youth ministries. It, it raised up volunteers to step into different areas of ministry. And it helped fund ministry to children and youth over the past two decades, up to the tune of close to three quarters of a million dollars was raised to put into the expenses that goes for, that, for this ministry. And so we're saying goodbye to it this week which is given us mixed emotions over the week as we say, say goodbye to it. But I wanted Leah to share a, a couple thoughts of what it was like to start that, what your hopes are, talking about the difficulties that sometimes come with beginnings. I was, I'm more of a beginner. I am not as good at the finishing line. And so I, the problem, the reason why I'm a, I was a really good beginner at that point was because I didn't think through all the things it was going to require. So I just was, yes, let's do this. And I was honored to be asked. So I thought I was just going to plan parties every month and what could go wrong? Yeah. What could go wrong? Barely anything, I'm sure. Well, there was a few things. There's a few things. How did this ministry affect you? 
affect the speakers, affect the people who attended, and even affected this church. Just talk a bit about God's faithfulness and what he did over the past two decades. He was really faithful to trust me to do it. And um, even when I was untrustworthy and unequipped and uh, didn't really understand the scope of what it meant to bring people in to ask them to share their stories. And as I reflected on this, I remembered the, a big moment for me was when this lady was standing up here and she was sharing her story. And she got to this part where she was in the, she was telling how she was in the house behind us, like behind the church. And um, she had jumped out of the window because she was so afraid. She was very high on drugs and, and there was, it was a really rough time in her life. And she had jumped out and she told this part of her story and then she just stopped talking and she just stared straight ahead. And everyone kind of it was just silent and I didn't know what was happening for her. Um, finally, she started talking again and she was very mixed up. She couldn't find her place. She didn't know what was happening. Um, it was it was a really rough night for her. And I realized at that point that I, I was really convicted that I had been trusted with this lady's story and I had not held it well because she wasn't ready to tell her story. And putting, when people have to go back through their trauma and it's not ready yet, it um, can re-traumatize. And so she taught me something about my role and my responsibility to pray for people that I was going to ask to share, to be diligent, to pray about when they should ask to share, and to wait for people until they were ready to share. And so, like I said, God trusted me before I knew that. And that amazes me that he brought me into a new place of holding. And the way that it affected speakers was it, it gave them such a ability to see God's faithfulness in their lives. So when you go back and you see all the things that actually happened, it changes your view. It changes your view of who God is. And it also challenged them to have to deal with big issues in their lives of a lot of times unforgiveness, a lot of times reconciliation with people. Um, and they were going to have to be able to share something that their family members might hear that would be, that could be very hurtful and that could be very difficult for for them to have a relationship an ongoing relationship so i saw healing come out of that people went into their pain dealt with their pain with people and reconciliation happened it was incredible and then 
the attenders were watching all of this happen and seeing how a person could share, uh, like, authentically that they had forgiven someone that had really hurt them. And um, it challenged the attenders to be able to say, if, if she can forgive, I can forgive. Hmm. And if she can... If she can give glory to God in that pain, then I can. I can do the same. And the Rock Church benefited from this because it changed um, how we needed to create a culture of safety for people to tell their stories. And that it would be okay if you were still in a broken place when you walked in the door. And it would be okay if you if you didn't have it all figured out because God has us all on that journey and so it it created a culture of honor in this place for that and it created safety I think it just it changed the way we viewed people so that we could see them in the the larger picture so good I saw God provide faithfully when you needed speakers, how, how he would provide, and, and your ability to grow into that role that you're describing to hold people and learn and teach them how to shape and talk about their story. You did that so well, Leah. We are uh, very proud of you and, and thankful. And so I know you don't want applause today, so I'm not going to ask for you, but I'm going to ask you to stand. And then if anybody else in this, anybody else who is in this room that has ever volunteered or done any little thing in, from little to big things in regards to her story over the past 20 years, I'd like you to stand right where you are or, or when it was called winning women. Sorry. <laughs> Go ahead and stand wherever you are if you've been a part of that in some way, shape or form. Would you give them a round of applause, please? So very, very good. And this Tuesday night from 4 to 8 is a come and go finale celebration of life with lots of dessert open to men and women. So you can come anytime between 4 and 8 and see some pictures, have some fun, and enjoy together. Are you delighting or despising beginnings in your life? What is on the radar that is beginning or needs to continue to move forward? Going to just quickly wrap up these points, the ones that are on your, your paper. But what does beginnings require? First, and Leah highlighted it, it needs trust. To actually begin requires a sense of trust. In John chapter 6, verse 68, it says, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. That's Peter speaking to Jesus. We often talk about discipleship in regards of growing in our ability to love God, others, and ourselves well. And I think that also applies to this area of trust. We need to be able to trust God. We need to trust him with our lives, with our plans. We need to take steps of faith towards him and trust that he will hold us, that he will never let us go no matter the situation. We need to trust others. We were made for community. If you've ever been tempted to go the Christian faith on your own, 
it is definitely doable, but I think it's very difficult and it's not what God intended. But to trust in community means we have to learn to forgive and learn to apologize and learn to be humble and learn, learn pride to be ripped out of our life. Because as, as Peter says to Jesus, Lord, to whom shall we go? We have come to believe. Peter was doing it in the community of the disciples, and we know how ragtag they were, and they had their own issues. But within community, they were able to move forward. Trust God, trust others, and trust yourselves. There comes the point, this isn't usurping trusting God in our lives, but there comes a point that you have to make a decision and you get to take a step forward in it and make your best decision with the best information, with the best sense of God's leading, knowing that he loves you so much that if you've stepped in the wrong direction, he's going to circle you back to the direction you should be going. That you can trust yourself to be a part of the process. You can make a step. Number two, stick with itness. You like that word? Stick with itness. If God has called you to it, he will see you through it, is how the trite Christian phrase goes. Lamentations, chapter 3, verse 22 to 27, in the message. God's loyal love couldn't have run out. His merciful love couldn't have dried up. They're created new every morning. How great your faithfulness. I'm sticking with God. I say it over and over. He's all I've got left. God proves to be good to the man who passionately waits, to the woman who diligently seeks. It's a good thing to quietly hope, quietly hope for help from God. It's a good thing when you're young to stick it out through hard times. We live in such a culture where the key value in life is comfort and happiness. If comfort, if comfort and happiness is your key value to live your life on, you will not do hard things. Because it's uncomfortable and you won't be happy all the time. The world wants that to be our key values. Happiness and comfort. That way you'll buy the newest phone, you'll get the newest clothes, you'll get the newest car, you'll get the newest whatever. Because that will be the key to comfort and happiness. But going the way of God is a, a, a path of dying to ourselves, Dying to our flesh in order for his spirit to have greater place in our life. And so that's number three, God's spirit. We have to depend on his spirit if we're going to begin. Zechariah 4, 6. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. We have to depend on the Lord's spirit. As the worship team comes, as we close, how do we depend Self has to take a distant role. We have to acknowledge that we can't be self-made, we can't be self-dependent, we can't be independent of what God wants to be doing in our lives. That actually there is a place for the Spirit of God to work in our lives because there's a gap, there's a void, there's a miss, there's a need, there's a necessity. We need God in our life we need his spirit we need to acknowledge that in an independent society of the western world where individual rights and individual our individual place needs to be sure in order for us to be ourselves that god is actually saying you can't be yourself if you're not depending on my spirit because i need to fill you and empower you so it's a posture of humility it's a posture of surrender before your day before the big thing 
we change our thought pattern from I got to get this right with God to God I can't get this right without you not I got to get this right for God but God I can't get this right without you come into this fill me equip me enlighten me give me what I need folks God does not despise small beginnings he loves to see it work you my friend are a small beginning in the scope of eternity in the scope of this world you and I are very small but he loves you very very much you bring him great joy last night as I was struggling again with my place in this world and the pulpit I would be up behind today recognizing that I was struggling again with God don't let these people waste their time God give me something that doesn't make me look like a fool but doesn't waste their time and I'm getting stuck in that performance thing again and trying to get centered and quiet and Jesus deal with my pride deal with my ego and I got that picture of where he was on the carpet and I was the toddler and I saw his smile as big as I've ever seen him smile towards me as I stumbled along and thought of being him being that parent over all these years of my life, all these small beginnings, all these despising the rural taste in big city Saskatchewan of this church at times, whatever was my issue of the day, that when he was seeing me walk and stumble and try and look to him and try and try, he was there with his open arms smiling enjoying the whole process knowing that it was needed for my growth my development he's cheering you on his favor towards you is good if you call him your savior and friend he is not angry with you he is cheering he is correcting he's discipling he's directing and that's what he wants to do in our life let's stand and sing this together and then we're going to come up and close